British businesses are throwing away two billion meals of perfectly good food every single year. Sat alongside that, we have 10 million people living in food poverty and we have food waste contributing 10% of global greenhouse gas emissions. We've got a climate emergency unfolding. So there really is no time for us to sort of congratulate ourselves on what we've achieved. Welcome to Tech Talks, hosted by myself, David Savage, and powered by Nash Squared. Today's guest is the co-founder of Olio, Tessa Clark, who's been on the show before, so it's an absolute joy to welcome her back. But before that, it's Skeesh. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Familiar guests and familiar co-hosts, eh? Familiar guests, familiar co-hosts, familiar yeah. subject, but one that we probably haven't talked about recently as much as we should do, uh, yep. sustainability. Yep. Um, and although it's Tuesday's show, we also have a voice note because we've got something a bit different planned for Friday, Ooh, which you'll, you'll find out in due course if you listen. It's very exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all to do with football, Akish. Mm. Football and social I... media and 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 minimizing abuse online but that's for friday yeah exactly today's about sustainability um how's your weekend yes very well actually very good um all goes by a bit too quick and i'm in the office today you aren't but you are probably jet lagged and tired i slept a lot this weekend i slept and ate yeah that's good I slept, I ate, and I discovered food in my fridge that I should have sorted out before I left for Vegas and didn't, and now unfortunately it's throwing away, which... I was going to say, you didn't eat that, did you? You discovered discovered it and went, oh, I'll I'll, I'll eat some of this. No, 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 it's gone beyond. And it's a shame, because if I'd thought about it, I could have used Olio, couldn't I, to have given it to neighbours, and now it's gone to waste. And I am very much foul of the very subject that we're going to be talking about in today's interview ridiculous and yeah tessa have a word with have a word with him hand on your heart akish yeah are you are you good necessarily dealing with leftover food i think i am in fact weirdly enough and this is not planned and we literally have a very short time to record this our viewers or listeners will be like oh yeah but they planned this i actually had quite a go at someone in my team earlier in a good way about wasting food um we went to a a place, they ordered a large, I ordered a regular. Um, they could not finish a large and had to throw almost half of it away in the bin. Yeah. And I was like, that, things like that, I was like, it's ridiculous. Um, exactly, exactly. So, Contribute yeah. to climate change yeah. or climate the climate crisis rather um, thoroughly yeah. unsustainable and not good and I'm chastising myself publicly on the podcast and I'm glad that you pulled up your team but we're learning we're learning and we are we can still change our habits for a great good and to help remind us of that learning process let's hand over to the interview with Tessa and you'll discover exactly why we're talking about this so today I'm lucky to be joined by a guest who we've had on the show before so it's lovely to see you again but Tessa Clark co-founder of Olio. How are you? I'm very good, thank you, and great to be back. Uh, thanks for giving up some time this morning. I, I've i said that you're a returning guest, however, we do pick up new listeners all the time, so let's assume that someone is tuning in and going, who are Olio? <laughs> uh, so let's start there. What, what, is, what is your business, Tessa? Amazing. So Olio is an app that exists to tackle the climate crisis at scale. 
And we do that specifically by focusing on the enormous problem of waste in our homes and local communities. And how we solve that problem is by connecting people with their neighbours so they can give away rather than throw away their spare food and their other household items. And we have about 100,000 volunteers who collect unsold food from supermarkets, from corporate canteens, from school canteens, hospital canteens, TV production shoots, etc. Those volunteers collect that unsold food, they take it home, they add it to the app and they redistribute it to their local community so that food is eaten, not thrown away. And look, I just wanted to start by, by asking you about that network of volunteers, because I think each time I talk to you, the numbers grow. <laughs> yes, <And> good. <laughs> it's impressive, but it's it's kind of how, like, how have you gone about doing that? Because I, I think as, as any would-be entrepreneur tuning in and listening, it's obviously been a lot of hard work. Over the summer, I, I saw that there was an article talking about the fact that you were seeking more partners. You joined mm -hmm. forces with a number of retailers over the last, last year or so, including Tesco and, and Pret, for example, to help donate um, I think 153 million meals to families. But yeah. how have you gone about that process? So I'd say the single most important thing to make this community activation, for want of a better word, actually work is having a really strong and clear mission that resonates with people. And we have got that in spades. So, you know, it's a fairly kind of universal thing, a, a hatred of waste especially a hatred of food waste when we've got a climate crisis that's rapidly unfolding. Uh, and just as importantly, we've got a cost of living crisis with millions of people in this country who are struggling to put enough food on the table. So we've got a super strong mission and a really simple solution to that problem. So that's sort of step number one. The next thing that you need to kind of try and replicate this model um, it's a very basic step, but one that people often overlook is you just need to ask for help. So you cannot escape from Olio asking you to help, to get involved, to take part. So we very openly invite people to uh, join our community and then we sort of take them on a journey. So looking at the volunteers specifically, we take them on a journey, we train them online on our food safety management system, and then they can claim a collection slot, which is an opportunity to redistribute surplus food. So have a mission, um, ask for help. You then have to invest a lot in supporting that community. And that is a task that is not to be underestimated. So lots of other founders look quite longingly at what we've built around the community and they see sort of all the, the good stuff. But honestly, having a, a community-driven business, whilst there are lots of very, very strong pros, it definitely is a double-edged sword because your community are now so invested in what you're doing, they feel like Olio is theirs and, you know, and quite rightly so. And so what that means, they really, really sort of hold our feet to the fire in terms of our uh, ability to execute and our quality of execution. They are very, very vocal when they think we're not being good enough, when they think we can do better. They're sort of our most demanding audience. So it definitely takes up a lot of founder um, and also kind of team mind share. Uh, it's kind of supporting that community. Out of interest, in, in terms of how they influence, and if I get some of this phraseology slightly in, in, in elegant though, forgive me but if you if we think of your core business as almost being your full-time staff you've got 100 100 million um volunteers 100,000 
Sorry, 100,000, not 100 million, 100,000. Dream big, dream um, big. Why not? Exactly. How I know that the values are very important to you. Yes. How do they influence, you know, what's that feedback loop like? Because as you said, they, they are bought into your mission, but they are equally, they are volunteers. They're not on your books and managing the, that group of people it must it must present some headache as a founder with regards to what they mean to your business and what they say about your business. Yes, um, absolutely. And I can remember in the very early days, we had this real conundrum. We didn't know, can you fire a volunteer? Um, when they're sort of offering their time and their service and their energy and their, their goodwill to you, it seems very unreasonable to um, ask someone to step down. And and we fairly quickly discovered, though, that absolutely, yes, you can uh, sort of fire a volunteer. And the reason for that is because the collective is more important than any one single individual. And as in any walk of life, you do unfortunately come across individuals um, who perhaps are not happy to sort of comply with the rules of the road that you have outlined, who are perhaps slightly toxic individuals. So we've definitely learned that um, we need to focus on the health and the well-being of, of the collective and the whole. And that does require people who are prepared to follow the rules. And we do have very uh, clear and strict rules because we are dealing with food safety with the redistribution um, of food. And also people who have that kind of can-do attitude and will get along with people. So that's really important. I think the second thing that's really important around managing such a large group of people, and it's something that we are constantly trying to get better at, is communications. And there are two elements to this. One, there's just the sheer sort of frequency of communications like is absolutely critical. Any change to the business, no matter how small you might think it is, can be really very meaningful in terms of how it impacts the volunteers and what they're trying to do. So you really, really, really need to over-communicate, not under-communicate. And the second lesson that we've learned around communications is that you must always, always, always put the why into the communication. So you don't just announce we're doing X, Y, and Z. You have to provide that context and explain to them why you are doing what you're doing. And we are continually experimenting with this communications piece. Our latest thing that we've experimented with, which is working really well, we started that this summer, is doing community webinars and so that's sort of an hour session where we really do present the sort of the guts and all uh, of the business and have that conversation with our community. And we explain to them the challenges that we're facing, how we're thinking about approaching them. And the benefit of doing that is that you'll have a couple of hundred people will attend that sort of webinar. They then digest that information and they then go on and disseminate that information on our behalf out into uh, the broader volunteer group. So we've found that to be a really powerful communications channel because it's also very personal. They get to hear directly from myself and mm -hmm. Sasha, my co-founder, but also the team who are working so hard to try and improve the Olio experience. Now, I I suppose where my confusion over some of the numbers uh, might have come from the fact that uh, we're talking about 100,000 volunteers. We're now going to talk about 153 million, uh, the, the number of 
meals redistributed. I hope that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think I get this right. It was seventy five percent of an intended two hundred million target. Yes. And the company, I don't know whether this was was you or Sasha, was quoted as saying we were still delighted with the outcome. To me, one hundred and fifty three million. It might be seventy five percent of a target. It's incredible, but you are fighting, um, I suppose, a, 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 an increasingly existential crisis on a on a, a global scale. How do you frame success, given where you're working? That's an excellent question. We spend next to no time thinking about our success because we are deeply agitated to be achieving far more than we are currently. So if if we just look at, say, food waste in the UK, British businesses are throwing away two billion meals of perfectly good food every single year. Sat alongside that, we have 10 million people living in food poverty and we have food waste contributing 10% of global greenhouse gas emissions. We've got a climate emergency unfolding. So there really is no time for us to sort of congratulate ourselves on what we've achieved. Um, So we have got that real just sense of urgency in the business to keep on striving for more. However, um, we do recognize that you do need to, I think sort of for the morale of the team, we do need to make sure that we do stop and pause and celebrate successes. And celebrating the successes is also really important actually on social media and in our marketing communications, because what we have discovered over the years of communicating about the climate crisis is that people respond much better to positive, uplifting messaging, messaging that talks about the solution rather than problem. And we have found that actually the optimal mix is about 80% optimism, 20% fear. And um, we that's, that sort of 8% optimism is where we do shout about, for example, you know, the number of meals that we've saved. Just out of interest, I wanted to talk to you very quickly about um, your ability to pitch the ideas um, so that they are understood. You you have said that um, it's important that you can you you kind of frame it as if you're talking to a ten year old child. Yes. Um, I know that you're someone who's who's been to a number of technology conferences. I was at Web Summit recently. It seems that eighty to ninety percent of businesses wanted to include AI in the title. If anything, <laughs> we're moving in the opposite direction of yeah. obs- obscuring what they do. Why is it that companies do that, and how much time have you spent? refining that pitch to the point that it can be universally understood? So honestly, I do not know why so many startups uh, talk about themselves in such a convoluted way. Um, And we have spent countless hours learning and refining how we talk about Olio. So in certainly in the early days, Sasha and I would be constantly WhatsApping each other because we'd be out and about talking about Olio and you know every single person we had to describe Olio to, and it doesn't have to be an investor, right? It can be someone, your neighbor or, or someone who lives, lives three doors down. Every time you talk about your business, it's an opportunity for you to experiment with different language, different specific words, different ordering, different analogies. And through that rapid experimentation of language, you, you then learn what works best. And something that we learned very early on, it can be quite tempting when you are pitching or describing what you do 
to jump straight into describing your product. And every single time I have done that, that has been a massive, massive mistake. Every time I have skipped out the essential precursor, which is explaining the why you're doing what you're doing, the problem that you are trying to solve. And even if I'm talking to someone who probably knows what the problem is, I have learned that you should never skip that phase because that then primes them to understand the problem from your perspective. It also primes them to be in a mindset to be brought into the fact that this is actually a really significant problem so that when you then describe your solution, they're halfway bought in and they can then also visualize how your solution maps onto that problem that you've just described. And then when you're describing your solution, I always like to do it sort of uh, apply, I guess, two lenses to how I do that. So the first one is to really describe the solution from an end user perspective, really kind of walk through what the user journey is without using any fancy terminology. And then secondly, to make sure that you describe it just very logically rather than jumping around all over the place. Whereas I think a lot of people, they will tend to use a lot of jargon they don't explain it from the user journey perspective. And you can just have had someone describe their business to you for five minutes. And at the end of it, you're none the wiser as to what it actually does and how it actually works. You talk there about um, the need to identify the problem. And you've spoken in other interviews about obsessing about the problem that you've identified yeah. and finding the very best solution to it, as opposed to falling in love with the idea that you've come up with. Mm. Do you think do you think that gives you a certain degree of flexibility? Because as a as a platform, you've included household goods recently. It started off as redistributing food, but but it's expanded. If you get too too tied up with the idea, does it stop the ability of a business to see what other opportunities there are to to providing solutions? It does. If you are obsessed with your idea, then I believe that over the medium to long term, you will fail to innovate. And the reality is you cannot single-handedly sort of beat a market into wanting your idea. And so what you have to do is just really, really laser in what is that problem that I want to solve in the world? And then you need to open up your mind and think very flexibly about all the different ways in which that problem could potentially be solved. And our Food Waste Heroes program, so that program we've touched on of the 100,000 volunteers collecting and redistributing surplus food from businesses, that was certainly not part of our original idea. But in order to solve the problem that we had set out to solve, it very quickly became immediately apparent that we needed to do something like that. And the Food Waste Heroes program, whilst not part of the original idea, has turned into the real sort of growth powerhouse of Olio and what we're doing. And just as importantly, it is now our main source of revenues. So I think it can be absolutely business critical to stay focused on the problem rather than the idea. You are someone who's looked up to in the industry. Funnily enough, I was recording another uh, episode of Tech Talks um, about a month ago with the founder of a business called Sharesy. Oh, and yes. he referenced you as someone who, who is an inspiration, Felix. Aww. But what questions do you have? What, when you look to your peer group and you're talking in amongst the industry, what questions do you have that you think continue to help develop your skill set? 
Um, well, I'm insanely curious. So I'm uh, what my co-founder Sasha calls a questioner. Um, so whenever I'm interacting with my peers, and it doesn't matter where they are in their journey, like I feel I can learn as much from Felix and Sherzy, who perhaps is a couple of years, quote unquote, sort of behind us, as another founder who's a couple of years in front of us, because everybody is innovating, experimenting and learning. So I'm constantly trying to suck dry other other founders' brains and experiences so that I can take those learnings and that can help benefit Olio. Another thing that I'm always trying to do is really understand what the external macroeconomic environment is like that I'm operating in, because when you're a founder, you are just 24-7 obsessed with your business and it can result in you being quite inward looking but the reality is we exist within a macroeconomic environment and so I do dedicate some time every single week to be making sure that I really understand what's happening outside of the company so that I can I can just be thinking that sort of one or two steps ahead um, and see things coming down the line before they hit us and in particular over the past two years where we have seen a dramatic change in the macroeconomic environment. I've invested a lot of time reaching out actually very proactively to the investor community. And I asked lots of investors that I've built relationship with over the years, please kind of just have 15 minutes of your time. And I just fired a whole bunch of questions at them to understand from their perspective what was happening. And that was a really, really useful exercise to help inform me how we should respond and adapt. Look, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you and to dive a bit more into your into your story. Um, all success to you, and Thank maybe you. A, a future point we will we will be talking about a hundred million volunteers yes. and, and further successes. <laughs> Here's to that. <laughs> Thanks, Tessa. Thank you for having me. Right, Kish, I did say that we've got a voice note, and we do. We've got a voice note, um, despite it being Tuesday. Uh, we want to keep one a week in here. Uh, Mauro Cosi, he is the co-founder and CEO of. Emmet Wise. So we're sticking on that sustainability theme. Emmet Wise are a business automating the process of carbon footprinting. Um, so basically helping large businesses measure, monitor, manage their carbon footprint. And let's be honest, we know that the carbon footprint of businesses can be startlingly large. So someone coming along and, and helping them do that is a good thing. Um, so we'll have a listen to uh, the, the voice note from Mauro and we'll have a quick chat. Hi there, I'm Mauro Cosi, co-founder and CEO of Emitwise. In my opinion, technology has three key roles in combating climate change. The first is all about measuring and understanding where our impact lies. We can't manage what we don't measure and we need to understand how our day-to-day decisions as governments, businesses and people affect climate change. The second piece is all around day-to-day continuous improvement. It's imperative that over the next decades, every decision we make, every time we choose to drive to work instead of taking public transport or that we make a buying decision as a business, we're considering what our impact on the planet is and how we can minimize it. And the third is all around disruptive technologies, things like new forms of energy generation that allow us to have step changes, paradigm changes in how we relate to the world and by extension, how our day-to-day lives impact climate change. All right, so look, in, in the message, Mara talks about measuring. You can't manage what you don't measure. It talks about every decision 
that, that we make. We must consider the impact on the planet. He also talks about disruptive tech and yep. what step changes they might be causing or could cause. So um, any of those three particular areas kind of stick um, when you were listening? Yeah, 100%. I think um, he actually, to be fair, for, for someone to sum it up in a minute and whatever seconds... Um, over a voice that I thought was very, very accurate, you know, and and the 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 understanding of change, firstly, right? Because we can talk about it and be like, oh yeah, you know, we need to change this, we need to measure, and you know, we need to have a, a true idea of what we need to do, and you know, what is contributing towards you know non-sustainability activities and things like that. Uh, there's a load of stuff sort of brandished all over the web, like all over the web and, and the internet and whatever but unless you actually understand the changes and what areas of business or us as people can be involved in and actually you know by habits or actions um you know take some responsibility for that's that's ideal you know actually knowing what we need to change right and yeah. and, and how we're going to do it um and i thought that the the mention of you know, actually continuous improvement is massive because when I think about continuous improvement, especially in this subject, I think it's small incremental changes can have a much greater impact. And, you know, he kind of mentioned a thing like Uber and walking and, you know, things like that, where it's just kind of understanding how behavioral changes, which we've said for years and, and people that are actually experts in this field, not saying me and you aren't, but, you know, people have said that, you know, with smaller changes, if you look at Tessa and kind of what she's doing, rather than just using that wastage or food and just chucking it yeah. in the bin and, you know, that sort of thing, if there are changes that we can do, actually, this might go off, this might happen, mm. why don't I just employ this app and, and you know, and, and it actually go to use as compared to, you know, our behavior in the past, which may have been, oh, you know, this loaf of bread is going to go off in a couple of days. I'm in Vegas at CES, so I'm just going to throw it away, you know? Yeah. So, it's things like that which are yeah resonated pretty well. And I think we forget that, you know, we all we all individually go, you know, come together to make up the carbon footprint of an organization. So little things like me stepping off the plane at Heathrow, one thing I did do, whilst I should have cleaned out my fridge or thought about giving food away before I left, um, I got the train back from Heathrow instead of a taxi or driving. Yeah. Because where you can use public transport, actually, to be perfectly honest, probably quicker. It's just as quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you think about driving where I live, Heathrow to where I live, um, around the N25, can take you a long time in traffic. Whereas, yeah. actually, the train, it took me an hour and a half. The Elizabeth Line makes it super easy yeah. to get into centre of town now. Where public transport's available, actually doing that, um, it's, a, it's a small change that if change, everyone yeah. does those those as you said continuous improvement if everyone makes those choices sensibly can add up to quite a big impact correct and that's what we need right it's, if everyone's on board just a little bit some may be doing more businesses there's obviously responsibility there's esg yeah. targets there's you know um there's, there's regulation so you know if everyone does that the bigger businesses do a bit more because they have to because of how much they produce we could be a lot more sustainable Exactly. Well, look, that will do for today. As I mentioned, as I trailed, Friday's a bit different. Friday is an episode that we recorded back in December with Striver, who are looking to minimise the impact of um, abuse through social media with the help of Roberto Carlos and Gilberto Silva. Um, and it's one that if you are listening on Spotify, you can also watch. So that's Friday. We'll be back as per usual, but for now, thank you, Akish. Thank you.
Tech Talks is hosted and edited by David Savage. It is produced by Nash Squared. And we have special thanks to Lemzy for supplying music to this show.